do as much reading as you want. If you want to be a trader, which I advise most people don't, most people shouldn't be traders, then you have to spend a lot of time reading and learning and being very, very careful. Welcome to Startup Gym, a show about the hard work, coaches, and community that go into building a company. Our Startup Gym is Science Inc., an incubator and venture studio in Los Angeles. Today's episode is with Peter McCormick, content creator, crypto trader, podcaster extraordinaire under the brand What Bitcoin Did. He's interviewed some of the biggest names in the industry and has some of the best content out there for crypto. Peter works closely with Science Blockchain, so we recorded this one one of the times he was out here back in March. Let's get into it. So, Pete, I have to ask, what did Bitcoin do? Great question, man. Okay. Uh, do you know what that name, um, we came up, well, I came up with it with a buddy here actually in LA. So I I kind of fell back into crypto trading uh, January of last year. And um, I bought a bunch more as a potential retirement fund, you know, just put it in there for a few years and see what happened. And then just kind of got sucked into it like yeah. everybody does. What were you doing before that? I had an advertising agency. Um, I exited that after, did eight years and just kind of got fed up with it. And, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things happening in life. So I bought all these coins and then I just started trading. And what happened is I started coming out to LA to visit my friend. And, you know, I had this pri- private Facebook group where I was teaching people, you know, how to get into crypto. Not so much trading because I, I wasn't an expert trader or anything, but I was teaching people how wallets worked, how to use Coinbase, you know, just a very simple intro. And then I created this Facebook group and my friend Justin was like, look, all the content you're creating in here is really good. You should do a website. And I was like, okay, cool. That's a good idea. And he's like, yeah, you could, you know, you'd probably get a lot of traffic because the, you know, the content's so good. And so we're trying to come up with a name and we're batting a few ideas about it. And the kind of, the kind of conclusion we came to is like kind of Bitcoin had kind of changed my life, right? I'd, I'd gone mm-hmm. from, you know, just not knowing what to do with my career. I was kind of working on this startup that wasn't working. And I'd gone to this point where I was now traveling back and forth to America. I had money. Life was pretty good. And it was kind of like, well, that's what Bitcoin did for me. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that's what we came up with, the, the name for the website. Cool. And you were, so you had an agency an advertising agency that you were doing before, when did you kind of get exposed to crypto? Do you remember kind of the moment that you realized, oh, this is this is a real thing? It's a tough one because I've had two phases in crypto. So the first time I got exposed to it was back in 2013, but I didn't see the potential for it. I just thought this is a way to make money. Hmm. Um, the market was moving pretty quickly. I'd used it to buy some things online and I thought it was kind of cool, but I just, I didn't see the bigger picture, but because the price was going up, I started leverage trading it on plus 500 where I didn't even know at the time that actually you didn't even own the Bitcoin. It was just a, you know, it was mm-hmm. a, it was a calculated bet. Um, and I made a lot of money very quickly and then lost a lot of money very quickly. We used to back then have these big flash crashes. Um, where the price would just drop in a second and come back up. And that would lead to a margin call while I was asleep. And I could wake up sometimes. I was like, crap, I've lost £4,000 here. <laughs> and then, so what happened from there is I've made a lot and then lost a lot very quickly. And I decided, you know what, this isn't for me. Got out of it. And um, 
it was only again last year. So my mum was sick. My mum, sadly, she was dying from cancer and we wanted to get her some cannabis oil. And the only way we could get that was online with, um, because it's not legal in the UK like it is in various states in the US. So the only way we could do it was online with Bitcoin. So I ended up buying some uh, some with it and had uh, Bitcoin left over and started to see the price go up. And I just thought, you know, what? I'm going to have another look at this. And then I realized there was all these other things, Ethereum and Augur and uh, Ripple, all these things at the time that I thought, you know, what? I'm going to give this a go. And, and that's at that time when I started trading again and researching and looking into it, I started to see the bigger picture. But also I was older, you know, I was a few mm-hmm. years old, a bit more mature. And I could see there was a wider ecosystem rather than just this speculative financial asset. What is the bigger picture? The bigger picture is just a revolution in uh, finance, really. I don't ever see Bitcoin as something that's going to replace money. Um, I, Why not? Because I think you need a symbiotic relationship. I think you need you need government as much as we can criticize them. And we need governments to have control over finances, even if we don't agree with how they run finances. I think the alternative is an more of an anarchistic state, which I just don't think would work or operate. You know, we need the governments to pay for things, education in in our countries, health. So I think we need that system. But what I see crypto doing is simplifying certain things globally in terms of the way money's moved around, machines to machine payments. Um, it cuts out middlemen. It gives us more control over our money, but I don't see a stage where my entire money will be in crypto. I always, I think it will be a, like I say, a symbiotic relationship. Okay. I get that. So you are what we would call a crypto trader. Yes. Correct? Yeah, I'm a trader. What does the term trader mean to you? What are you doing day to day? Well, there's, there's a few types of trader. Yeah. You know, there are day traders who are very good at technical analysis, who are looking at making probably more trades than I do. I'm probably more of an investor, really. Hmm. Although, you know, uh, I, I say more of an investor because I make very few trades. I'm On average, I'm probably making less than 10 a month. Okay. I'm sitting and holding my positions for a number of months. I'm quite patient. Uh, whereas a trader will trade day to day. But what I'm looking to do is create financial freedom for me with crypto because i believe the big picture you know i believe you know bitcoin will uh will increase in value significantly over the next few years for a number of reasons but if it does achieve you know a marginal percentage of gold then the value will be you know tens of thousands possibly even hundreds of thousands there's a great white paper by john pfeffer which outlines a case for it being somewhere and it's a broad range of between 230 and 800 thousand dollars per bitcoin but if that's the case i know that there's a potential to create some form of financial freedom for myself and my children do you think these crypto assets should increase in value like in a big as a bigger broader picture question like existentially like should these things be increasing in value over time well if if bitcoin works you know, it's a it's working at the moment, but if it mm-hmm. works, it becomes a part of the global economy and just another asset that exists for 20, 30, 50, 100 years, then almost certainly as long as computers work, then it should, over a long enough time frame, always increase in value because it's deflationary by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be increasing demand as we have a growing global population and a growing need and a growing access to these assets. So it should accumulate in value um, 
intrinsically yeah, because but, of how well, it's built. Yeah, but 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 almost eternally. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get that. So outside of just Bitcoin, in general, cryptocurrencies, a question I get asked a lot in this space is what makes these things valuable? Is it just fake money? Is it just fake internet money that, you know, we've, we've seen that expression said a lot and I've heard it a lot, especially from people who are new to this space or as I tell my family about it, this and that, one way or another, the question comes up. How do you answer that question? There are people who can answer it better than me. And there is a guy, I can't remember his name. I was reading it today. He did a four uh, medium posts on the bullish case for Bitcoin. And mm -hmm. I'll give them to you. You can put sure, it in the show, show notes. notes. But things have value because everyone who uses it agrees it has value. So whether or not people disagree, if enough people want to use something and give it value, it does. If you look back at the history of monetary assets, I think at one point we were trading shells and Right. You know, then we're trading gold. But I mean, why does gold really have value? It essentially is a lump of metal, like other lumps of metal, that we dig out of the ground. And we, as a society, agrees it has value. But its value is way above its intrinsic value and its properties as a as a as a as a well, as a lump of metal. You know, you know, it's used in jewelry, but it isn't. It isn't got value because it's used as jewelry. It's user jewelry because it has value. So it's seen as a sign of wealth. But it has to come down to the properties. You know, Bitcoin itself has many fundamental properties that give it value. It's um, it's divisible, easily divisible. Mm -hmm. It's easily sent globally. You know, moving a lump of <laughs> uh, gold across the planet is very difficult. You have to move a lot heavier than a Bitcoin. Heavier. Yeah, you know, so essentially what we do is we, we dig it out of the ground, we smelt it down, we put it back under the ground, we say it has value. But to move, you know, a ton of gold from the UK to France would be very, like quite difficult. To move it from Australia to America is very difficult. If we agree that Bitcoin has value, to move that is, you know, is a case of minutes at low cost. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cost to move gold is expensive as well. So it has value because everyone agrees it has value. Sure, that's fair. That makes sense. You know, I've intentionally kept away from questions like, what tokens are you buying? Which yeah. should people listening buy? Because frankly, you know, this podcast is going to exist a lot longer than probably most of the tokens that are, you know, currently traded day to day. Uh -huh. There's a lot happening and there are plenty of corrections that happen. You know, we just went through or are going through a pretty big one uh, of loss of value across the board. This is a very volatile market. Mm -hmm. Agreed. It takes a very certain kind of person to trade in a very volatile market and to not lose your mind. Yep. Why do you keep going? How do you keep going? What are your thoughts? Um... <laughs> I'm going to go back to your first point and say sure. about, you know, not asking which ones, because <laughs> actually there are two that I believe in long term of sure. everything, which is sure. Google, yeah. uh, Bitcoin and Monero. Uh, they're the two I believe in long term and I accumulate because I, be, I, you know, if the market was to collapse and come back again, I believe, you know, I want to hold the Google and the Amazon, not the Alta Vista and the web van <laughs> from the dot-com crash. Sure. And I believe the best case use cases I see are for Bitcoin and Monero. Everything else I'm trading is, you know, for wealth creation and freedom and, you know. Um, but it is a very challenging market to, to trade because it is so volatile. 
and you either have the right mindset for it or you don't. I went through the process of losing a lot of money when I told you back in 2013. So after making losing money on Bitcoin, I tried to leverage trade tech stocks. Mm-hmm. I shorted Twitter when it first came out and it went up. So I shorted a second position, went up further, shorted <laughs> a third position, went up further. Eventually <laughs> I had to pull out. I lost 30, it was about 30, 35,000 pounds. I mean, it was a, a lot of money. Exited it, didn't trade again for a good couple of years. That for me was a very painful lesson in how you should trade and having a structure and set of rules, which I do now. So that's one thing. The second thing is also going through crashes with Bitcoin and crypto. You kind of get used to them. So this, the second thing is I don't panic when there's a crash now because I know they're going to come. And I know there's going to be another one and another one. They're going to keep happening. What I'm thinking is in 10 years' time, if Bitcoin is still here and a success, it is going to be worth a lot more than it is now. As such, I kind of don't mind these dips because I'm not taking the money out anyway. Same for the people who sold it $3 or $30 or $300 or $1,200 or three. Every one of these peaks we've had, people have sold out. Playing those tops and bottoms are really hard. So I think it's... I think I'm mature and older, so I have the uh, mindset to be calm about this. I think I've been through the experience of losing money, so I know what it's like, and I'm taking a practical, long-term view of of the market. So why, this is going to sound like a very ethereal question, okay. and a very out there thing, but I promise it ties in with that last piece. Okay, cool. Why crypto? You know, you were talking about how you traded... T- tech stocks before you traded Twitter. Why not keep doing that? And I, frankly, I have this question for a lot of people involved in crypto these days, because uh-huh. a lot of people are in it for one reason or another. A lot of people are making a lot of money, but you can make a lot of money doing a whole host of different things, not just crypto. Why crypto for you personally? It's, um, there's two answers to it, but one comes from the other. Realistically, if I'm totally honest, it's financial. It's, you know, it's an economic mm-hmm. reason. We, this is a potentially once-in-a-lifetime wealth creation opportunity. Hmm. You know, I, I don't have a pension. Not many people do. Um, I don't have – I still got a mortgage to pay. I've got two children who one day would probably like to buy a house and, and get on the housing ladder is going to be scary for them. Hmm. So this I see as a once-in-a-lifetime wealth creation opportunity. They, they happen. There's different bubbles at different times. You know, there was the dot-com. There was gold rushes. There's all different ones. But this is kind of like my generation's opportunity and as an asset class we are it feels like in you know right now it's starting to prove right because there's so much good stuff happening there's the senate testimony on uh, crypto banks are starting to look at wallet creation Mm -hmm. jp morgan have admitted that there is a uh, crypto as a threat to the banks so if this all proves successful which i believe it will this asset class is a fraction of the size it will be at, at you know 500 billion it's not particularly big this could be a 20 trillion industry or if it becomes one of the main financial instruments that I, I, who knows what the ceiling is mm-hmm. but if the if the if the market does a 10x in the next three years whatever i've gone in there's going to do a 10x naturally it's just going to grow with it without really having the skills to be without needing the skills to be an exceptional trader whereas you know, trading commodities, trading Forex, I think you need except, exceptional skills. And unless you're tracking an index fund, mm-hmm. you need you need the market to grow with you. 
which which you probably will on an index fund over a long enough time period with the with the stock market but nothing's going to grow as much as this could the upside potential is way ahead of the downside risk and the skills that i feel that are needed are probably lower because it's a bull market than the stock market so yeah it's opportunity and, and skills required i don't think i'm a good trader by the way <laughs> i just think i'm potentially a good investor and in the sense that i'm patient okay and in the sense that I, and that's patient on entry and exit, and in the sense that I'm quite calm, which I think mm. are kind of good emotional skills to have. In terms of technical skills, I'm not the best. There are many people better than me. But yeah, I just think it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The second one is actually super interesting, right? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting just watching this play out. You're watching yeah. a change to society. You're watching a change to uh, tech and systems and finances and governments. And it's just really interesting but that comes after the money okay well for what it's worth i think you're a good trader <laughs> yeah but you know what sometimes over a long <laughs> i think if i was a good trader i would have spotted what happened mm. in january and february like many people didn't i think that proved many of us are mm. have been lucky in a bull market i th i think i'm an okay trader amongst my peers mm -hmm. but i think over again and i always say long enough a long enough time frame there will be definitely better traders than me who are more focused, who are better at, uh, at reading things. Gotcha. I just think I'm an okay investor. Well, I mean, it's early, you know. Yeah, I think I that's that's part of it as well. So let's let's shift a little bit to talk about what's being built on okay. blockchain. You okay. know, so if if the first kind of piece of this has been about trading and the market, let's get on a more granular level of the technology and what's being built. And obviously we don't have to get into too many specifics about technology because okay. we could go for a long time, talk about governance and, and all that stuff. Uh, but in terms of like what's being built, what are some trends you're noticing in the market? Because you see mm -hmm. you know, pretty much everything. You see a lot of what's out there. And obviously there's some that we can't even see. There's thousands of projects being built in blockchain. But what excites you and what are some trends that you're noticing in types of companies and projects that people are building? So I, I tend to categorize them. So obviously we have currencies which are a store of value medium of exchange. They excite me because they are a, they are proving as a use case that that work. Okay, of everything in crypto that is working and being used, you are people are buying things online with crypto. I bought my mining gear from China hmm. with uh, Bitcoin Cash. Right. You know it was a uh, it was a very significant purchase. Two hundred forty thousand dollars of equipment. 10-minute transaction, something like a $3 fee. And that, that order was confirmed. If I had to do that through the banks, that would be very difficult, you mm -hmm. know, sending that money from China to China from the UK. So that excites me because that, that's working. Definitely. So full steam ahead with that. I then look at uh, protocols, and quite frankly, it's too technical for me to understand. But from what I see, there are certain things that are very interesting. The, the volume of trans, uh, TXs on the Ethereum network is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how it works. I don't understand how apps will be built on it, but I think the volume and the numbers and the amount of money being moved on the Ethereum network is kind of mind-boggling. Um, I also like the potential of EOS as a project, but I can't give you expertise on protocols. I refer to peers for that. True. The other trends that are coming out are, are interesting. So there's a big move, on, move for decentralized exchanges. Yep. I think that may be a red herring. One really? of the most, yeah, I see why people are interested in them in terms of, um, you know, risk to their funds. But actually, the main 
thing that people want in exchange is liquidity. And I think decentralized exchanges may struggle for liquidity. I think as institutional money comes in and Wall Street money comes in, which it's going to, I don't think they're going to want to be trading on uh, decentralized exchanges. I think they're going to mainly want to be on centralized exchanges with higher levels of security and higher uh, and, and, and better ways of uh, storing and managing finances security uh, securely. So I'm not a big believer. I think decentralized exchanges will have a place, but I don't. I don't see this takeover of centralized exchanges. Um, outside of that, there's you know there's just so many different projects happening, but it's very difficult to know what is going to be the killer apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember back from dot com one when everything was about wow you can buy stuff online we've got right. internet we've got e commerce but the killer app was social media nobody saw that coming and I've got a feeling the killer apps with uh, blockchain and decentralized uh, um, decentralized technologies we might not know what the killer app is yet and it's going to be a lot of projects a lot of live split testing and to see what actually works and what does not work. I have a feeling most of the things being built on the blockchain right now do not need to be decentralized applications. True. What would you what would you say are the criteria for that? When should someone build on blockchain? Oh, I think we should try everything. I don't uh, nobody knows what will work, but anything could. Which is the reality. So I think if anyone's got an idea, they should be building it and trying it because only once it's out there and tested, will we know if it works? But you know, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not somebody to go out and say, oh, they should try this or try that, because I, I just don't know what will and won't work. I'm not a huge techie. Okay. That said, though, like you definitely can see something and and think right off the bat, this probably shouldn't build on blockchain. This probably has nothing to do with it. And you know, a lot of even public companies have added the word blockchain to their name, and their stock price has gone up. So there's a lot of of hype. Too. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype around uh, certain projects. Um, I think the one of the main problems with a lot of these token-based projects is the and the first thing I'm looking at is what is the economics behind the token. Okay. I think the majority of them, however they are structured, or however however they consider they're structured, are securities, and I think. There is a myth that a lot of people investing think they are buying a share of a, the the equivalent of a share of a company. I saw one um, one Twitter account with significant what, like seventy thousand followers saying, "I'm happy buying tokens because essentially I'm buying uh, a percentage of the performance of a business, like a share in a business, which is completely untrue." So I worry about token the token model for a number of these start these startup blockchain businesses because I don't think they've actually created intrinsic value for the token itself. And really these are going to end up becoming worthless debt tokens. Right. They're like worthless gift cards for a, a website that won't exist. Exactly. In a couple because, of years. Um, you know, from what I've read from various, you know, there's some really good people in the space who are right about token value. There's uh Kyle Samani, there is Chris Bonetsky, and they all talk about token velocity. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you speak to, especially you speak to people in the startup world, the, the difficult thing is not building applications. You know, the difficult thing is getting people to use them. You could have the greatest product in the world, but getting the, you know, the recipe right for, for having a large volume of people continually using it is very difficult. And this is 
what I fear is that over the next two years, we're going to see a number of these applications go live and very few people using them, which is going to create little token velocity. And my understanding is without velocity, there isn't value because that is creating a live supply and demand. You kind of touched on something there, which is the difference between securities and a utility token. A lot of that, frankly, has been gray because of the lack of regulation in this space. It's a question that people talk about constantly, that I'm constantly researching myself, is what is it going to take for the U.S. to regulate these things? Uh, you know, a lot of these projects are being built here but aren't compliant with what will end up being the laws, and the laws could retroactively affect what they're building. My question is, what do you think it's going to take to get tighter regulation and to get out of the gray? I think... I think it's happening now. Um, I think it was announced today, the SEC uh, are looking at 80 specific projects. Mm -hmm. um, and there's two sides to this in that the regulation, you know, we have different regulations in the UK, but what mm -hmm. it appears pretty clear is that the regulations in the US are about protecting investors. So it's essentially you're stopping somebody getting uh, uh, losing all their money on a failed investment. They're trying to protect people who aren't that well considered aren't uh, considered not wealthy so i think your rules are something along the lines of you have to have something like a million is it a million of i could be wrong in these numbers you have to have something like a million um in assets or earn over like a certain amount right like a hundred thousand or two right. yeah like being an accredited was it two hundred fifty thousand? Mm -hmm. i don't know the numbers mm -hmm. but i remember looking at them and thinking right i wouldn't be accredited so i understand why that exists i'm not going to question it um but what that means is it doesn't make it illegal for companies to create securities. They just can't market them to U.S. investors who aren't accredited. So they can market it internationally because that's fine. Mm -hmm. So there is... there is there, among, other, among other stipulations too. Yeah. Then there are those that have created projects which aren't a security in their eyes, mm -hmm. but are a security in terms of the SEC. Mm -hmm. And the SEC said not, not a single ICO has registered with, with them yet. Right. So what I think is going to happen, and actually I think this is great. This makes me bullish. I, I'm, you know, and other people will argue and disagree, but I think uh, regulation around ICOs will be a good thing because as somebody's looking to invest, if the US puts in place quite stringent rules around ICOs and, and securities, Anything which is then marketed in the US has already passed the first level of research for me as an investor. It's like, okay, this is hmm. this has um, this has approved by the rules of the SEC. I think there's going to be a, a flood of litigation coming up for pro projects, and people are going to lose money they've put yeah. in because the SEC is going to be looking quite closely at these projects now. Like I said, I think eighty today are now under investigation. Crazy. Yeah. And and obviously, like, let's be clear, the US isn't the only place where, you know, crypto is a thing. Like yeah, yeah. it's it's global. Mm -hmm. And so different countries will have their own kind of rule book and, and codes around these things. But uh, if you look outside of China though, what you will notice is just and even China dealt with this. The thing most commonly talked about by governments and the things they have the biggest issue with are ICOs. ICOs mm -hmm. are the things we're consistently seeing from you know, even in Korea or Japan, which is pro-crypto, every market's pretty much saying, yeah, we're pro-crypto, but we have a problem with these ICOs because 
there are scams or there are people raising money for projects which have no intrinsic value. And I understand protecting, you know, if you buy Bitcoin or Litecoin or Monero, yes, the value could go to zero, but it has some intrinsic value already. If you're buying an ICO, what we say, dead token, you are buying something of no value and that harms that harms people within your uh, within your country, and and the government is there to protect its people. There are some nations that I mean, some are looking into creating their own currency, like Venezuela. We won't even get into that. Yeah, uh, but some of them have actually created separate entities for the governing of cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a good idea? Is that a good direction to go in? I mean, I don't know. I heard that the U.S. were considering it as well, but I mean, sometimes with these things. You Governments can bring too much red tape. Mm -hmm. So I think I think it's important for governments to look at this and have rules and regulations, but not create a whole raft of new stringent regulations that, that are put in place that hamper uh, innovation. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a, you know, it's going to be very difficult for me to have a solid opinion on that. Sure. So... Let's get a little more tangible then. Okay. What is some news that happened in the last week in the world of crypto that caught your attention? Wow. Well, okay. So a couple of things. One turned out to be potentially a bit of a joke, but um, in that uh, Robo Bank in Holland mm -hmm. were looking to create a crypto wallet within your bank account. Now, it turns out this might be not completely happening, but it caught my eye in that I written, wrote an article this week and I've been tweeting about the threat of crypto to banks. I've been looking at how banks make money from our uh, current accounts. And it's essentially, we deposit money in, they hold our put deposits, and they lend it out on their fractional reserve banking to other people and make interest off it. So that's one way they make money. And they you just it. explained banking in one sentence. That was impressive. <laughs> well, it's a bit more than that. It's much more <laughs> complex. But they also then make money by us spending our money on our debit cards, and they've been very clever to hide the fee per transaction mm -hmm. with fees and such, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But we are essentially paying that. Um, uh, some would say the retailer's paying it, but really the retailer's just going to mark up their product. And then they also make money for international wire transfers. So... There's three ways they make money from our uh, current accounts, yet anything else, traditional services like loans, mortgages, etc., we don't have to buy from our bank out of loyalty. There is a marketplace where we can search for the best rates. So if you look at those three things, and then you look at crypto and you say, okay, I'm going to stop holding crypto in my bank account, uh, sorry, uh, my money in my bank account. I'm going to buy crypto instead and have you know a hardware wallet, which is another form of savings. That means there is less money in the banking system for the banks to lend out. Their only alternative option is to borrow money off other, other banks, which is more expensive. So that's a threat. If we start paying for things internationally, locally, with crypto instead of um, our debit card, we're going, to pay, we're going to pay a lower fee. That means, and the banks are going to get less fee from the merchants. If we start wiring money internationally via crypto, we're not going to be paying the fees for banks. So there's mm -hmm. three areas now. And people will look now and go, oh, that's just a small amount. It's, you know, it's not going to make a big difference because... But over time, this grows. You know, with Blockbuster, when Netflix was sending out uh, CDs and Love Film was sending out, mm -hmm. sorry, DVDs, it was a very small threat to begin with. But then it eventually became 
It destroyed their business model. So when I saw Robobank were going to create a crypto wallet within your bank account, the smart thing around that is they're going to, if, if banks do this and they, you know, like if you could log into your online banking and see your crypto alongside your mm-hmm. um, um, feared accounts, you they will continue to hold reserves. Right. And I right. think it's like a hedge against their current business model. It's like yeah. if Blockbuster, when Netflix started streaming, they also built their own streaming platform. Of course. Yeah. So that really stood out to me as a, as a real key thing because it's only going to take one bank to do it and see the potential and the success. Then other banks are going to be like, okay, we need to do, do mm-hmm. this. And I have no doubt at some point, um, you know, because there was another big bit of news this week where Circle bought Polonix. Right. So great, amazing. So Polonix is an exchange. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, 400 million, which I think they're going to regret. It, 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 you know, very soon that's going to seem very cheap. But that shows part of the traditional world getting into the crypto world because they're Goldman Sachs backed, right? Right. I think over the next two years, we're going to see a bunch of exchanges being bought by um, non-crypto based entities who want to be in this space mm. because the longer they leave it, the more expensive it will be. I think at some point, one major bank is going to buy Coinbase. Hmm. Whether it's Bank of America or whoever, they will be buying the infrastructure already for what is, you know, people can say Coinbase is exchange, but it's also essentially a bank. It's a crypto bank. Because if you use their vault, you are storing your crypto with them. If you are using their wallet, you are storing your crypto with them. Now, it doesn't offer banking services such as right. uh, paying for your mortgage and things like that, but it does. It is bringing merchant services in. I have no doubt they'll bring a card service in. So for me, in some ways, Coinbase is a bank. Huh. I think that there are a lot of lawyers who, if they were listening to that, would be pulling out their hair. And that's there's so much that goes into that. I mean, even here at Science, we've like looked into a bunch of this stuff and what it takes to to build certain types of companies yep. in the crypto space. And so Coinbase are not going to say they're a they, bank, right? <laughs> there's there's a lot of um, a lot of red tape there, but that's that's a very interesting way but of looking you, at it. If you look at it, so when I log into my i i bank i bank in the UK. When I log into my bank account, I have five different accounts mm-hmm. with different balances: money coming in, money going out. When I log into Coinbase, I have five different accounts: money coming in and money going out. Hmm. It is similar yeah. to a bank. Yeah, totally fair. I think that is a very interesting comparison. Are you, I mean, how does that, how does that make you feel to, to know that some of these banks are now creating mechanisms by which they can still benefit and not be totally taken out by crypto? Are you, where do you sit on the spectrum of, and I know you're not on this side, but on the, on the side of, you know, crypto needs to go away and we need our traditional institutions to remain all the way up to the other side of the spectrum, which is, you know, the banks can all burn and, you know, 100% crypto all the way forever. Like, where are you on that spectrum? I'm, I'm in the middle. I think we need both. The, you know, one thing I had a discussion with somebody yesterday and I was saying, well, you know, I think one of the big issues with crypto is everything's so complicated and difficult to use. And he disagreed with me. And I said, well, no, it is. 
I mean, especially for, you know, the average person who's yeah. just getting into it. I mean, try and understand wallets and moving crypto <laughs> yeah. and then you can lose it in security. There's so many. Sometimes it takes 24 hours for a transaction to go yeah. through. That's its own, own thing. Um, and there's different rates and there's different coins. They do it. It's, it. It is complicated. There is anybody who says it's complicated is in, is, I think is in denial because, you know, if I want to pay for, um, a, it's, it's almost like this. Look. If I want to pay something with my debit card, I'm used to just scanning it and paying. If I want to pay with crypto, it's this other mindset for paying. You know, I've got to go, okay, I've got to put my money in this new wallet and send it to this other wallet. But is that not just a user interface problem? Like, couldn't someone create a type of interface that would allow well, it to be easier? Well, what I'm saying is like, you know, you, most people who drive a car know to drive a car. But one day you're going to bring them a car and say, look, today you're not going to drive with your hands. You're going to drive with your feet. Okay, you're going to steer with your feet, and you're going to you're going to um, indicate with your elbows. It's a new way of driving a car, which is slightly more complicated, but it's better. Eventually, they'll get used to it, and they'll have both. And I think that's the case. But I don't think I think there's too much risk with crypto for people to just be only in crypto. And also, like I already talked about, you know, the governments are not going to have it. So, mm. does it excite me that banks are getting into this? Yeah, of course, because it's validation and. As governments regulate and approve and banks and traditional institutions get involved, it, it increases the chance of crypto of becoming a, uh, a much larger asset within the, within the financial ecosystem. Okay. So I think it's a good thing. Sure. Let's get into some of the more like miscellaneous questions. Okay, man. What are the most common misconceptions that you hear? Um, I mean... Uh, yeah, take I, your pick. I, I know there's hundreds, yeah, thousands. I mean, take um, your pick. So uh, I can't afford a Bitcoin, right? <laughs> People don't realize yeah. they can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, you know, which is an, an important early lesson to learn. Yeah. Um, I th uh, that that crypto is used by criminals and drug dealers. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially with Bitcoin, you would have to be, you would be. You know, if you were a uh, international criminal and you were transferring money using Bitcoin, you pr should probably end up on America's dumbest criminals because it's all public. It's all public, and it can be traced. It's, it, you know, it's ridiculous. Anonymized but public. Anonymized but public. Yeah. Right. So that there's also things within trading which um, are misconceptions. You know, for example, people. Th I I don't, and I never say the word hodl. I never say <laughs> it. I hold things. But it, holding is not a strategy on its own that is advisable because people think that works for everything. Yeah, I believe long-term holding Bitcoin is a good thing, but I've exited before. It's it's not a strategy just to hodl. And I think it's by making a joke and a meme has made it acceptable. And I don't think that's a good thing. Some people are going to hold certain assets believing that that's the right thing and they will never increase in value and they could go to zero. What is a question you're surprised you don't get asked more? Oh, good. That's a good question. <laughs> that question. <laughs> uh, what am I surprised I don't get asked more? Hmm. I can't give you a good answer for that one. Uh, what do I... uh, we can rephrase it. What is, what is something people aren't talking enough about in this space? Um, you know, you are, you are a an influencer in this space. Yeah. You have a, a sizable following and you, I'm sure you have, you see a lot of your contemporaries out there. What is something that you think people aren't talking enough about? 
I don't think people are talking enough about usability in crypto. I think, you know, as somebody who worked and lived through Web 1 to Web 2, you know, Web 1 was, we didn't know what we were doing. In Web 2, we worked for many years, I say we, I mean the industry as a whole, worked many years to make things simple and easy to use. Great books were developed. Uh, we created jobs, which was specifically about user experience. We have companies whose entire job is improving user experience. I, I've built applications whereby uh, we'll use a website like usertesting.com, and we will sit and we will watch people use a product to learn how to make it better. The, the majority, the vast majority of products I see in the crypto space are difficult to use and ugly. And I think we've gone back a step. And I've heard excuses for this in that, you know, these are just techies and they're just building products and they're learning. But I don't think there's any, it doesn't, things don't have to be difficult. I think things can be built much better. Uh, I, and th the thing is, that's stopping people come aboard. So someone like Coinbase gets a lot of, uh, a lot of people criticize Coinbase. You know, they don't mm -hmm. do certain things in the right you know, time and, you know, they bring SegWit on enough and their fees are too high. But do you know what? Don't use them if you don't like the fees. But they have built the easiest to use website for buying crypto. The way it onboards people is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Then I will look at other things like um, MetaMask. I mean, how is the normal person meant to know what that is and why they right. should use it? Right. Um, My Ether Wallet. It looks like something that was built in 1990 on the internet. <laughs> And so much stuff exists there that doesn't make sense. You know, Ethereum is this huge, gigantic, uh, you know, uh, uh, network. The majority of the time when I'm looking and doing things, I don't really understand it. Okay. And I'm some people from a tech background, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, more the front end than the back end. So I just, I just, it's beyond me why people aren't, aren't raising this and talking about this much more because the majority of things I see out there are, are very, poorly built in terms of a user experience mm -hmm. and very difficult to use and very difficult to understand. Cool. Without giving a price or an exchange rate, okay. where do you hope cryptocurrency will be or where do you hope blockchain technology will be 5, 15, 25 years from now? Well, if I take away self-interest mm -hmm. i would like to see bitcoin take a significant share of the value of gold for uh, store of value mm -hmm. i have no doubt that nation states will have to have bitcoin as a reserve currency at some point if they're not already in the background secretly buying it well, where do I like to be? I mean, so that's is that that's your five year target is you want it to take a, a big share of gold as a store of value internationally? Yeah, I, I, okay. I, so my my five year target is for crypto just to exist naturally within our infrastructure ecosystem. You know, I'd like to be able to go onto Amazon and, you, and next to your pay with Visa, you've got pay with paypal hmm. pay with crypto hmm. okay and just and it's just natural you just say okay, okay great and when i go into store i could tap with debit i can tap with apple pay or i can tap with crypto and that's already happening in some places but so that's but it to be natural like there mm. was a time when um i would always see the paypal button mm -hmm. and i just never used it i actually use it all the time now because it's just so easy yeah and for crypto to get to that point i, I think that'd be great 
I think it's unrealistic, but I think it would be nice if high street banks had crypto accounts within five years. I mean, maybe this, maybe they'll have to. I just think that's probably going to take 10 years. Okay. Some banks will have it. You know, Revolut have already got it. And, you know, there's a Korean bank already doing it. I think for there will come a time when one high street bank will do it and every high street bank will have to do it. Mm. Okay. Uh, and I would like to see that happen as well. Sure. So if that's more likely to happen in 10 plus years, let's talk about 15 years. What what would you like to see in this market 15 years from now? Uh, 15 years from now, gosh. I mean, it's so hard to know, lads, because life moves so quickly, right? And it's accelerating rate. I mean, in 15 years, we may not be have any taxis driven by people. Almost certainly won't, okay? Hmm. So we're going to be at that point. We're almost certainly going to have almost every single customer service job being handled by AI. Mm-hmm. I can't picture the world in 15 years' time. So to picture a blockchain... I, I can't even picture that. It's a really. Do, do you see what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah. Okay. Um, but Fair if, enough. But I think I I almost. Do you know what I hope? I hope in fifteen years I don't have to care about it. I hope I'm not trading it. I hope I'm not working in it. I hope I'm. You know, I'll be. I'll be fifty fifty five years old. I'll be hoping that I've retired off it, and I'm just spending time with my sure. kids and grandkids. Great, that's fair. And then that <laughs> that captures twenty five too. So there you go, two birds. Yeah. Twenty five. I, I just hope I'm alive. <laughs> fair enough. So let's let's kind of close out with okay. how people who are getting into this uh, can learn specifically from you. I know you've put together a lot of amazing resources on what Bitcoin did dot com and and everything that you're putting out. Where should people go to learn more from you? Oh, wow. So um, so the first step, I would say, go to the website, mm-hmm. uh, com. There is a beginner's guide. I have my strategy. I transparently share my portfolio. I write. Why do you do that, by the way? Um, you, to, you, so you share all your trade. Every time you, yeah. you exit of something, you share it. Why? Well, two reasons. Firstly, um, it makes me accountable for my trading. Hmm. So that's you know a good thing. Secondly, crypto Twitter is full of a number of traders who are giving out advice, but there's no transparency about what they've done. I've seen many good calls, many bad calls. I've seen, and that, that's cool. Mm-hmm. There's a guy called uh, Wilson Trottle on there. I like him because he puts out his bad calls. Mm-hmm. But I think there should be more transparency about it if you're providing advice. So, you know, I, I'm, I want that out there. Look, I make good calls. I make bad calls. Because my approach has always been to say to people, is look, I'm not an expert. I make mistakes like all of us. This is, I'm, this is, this is what I've learned. This is my journey. Sure. I hope you can learn. And if you follow my journey, you can learn along my journey. And right. as part of that is having my um, portfolio out there. But yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on there. You can follow me on Twitter, um, um, which is what Bitcoin did. I mean, every mm-hmm. handle, Twitter, Medium, yeah. you can find uh, content there. I have the podcast, yeah, which you can find on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, YouTube. The What Bitcoin Did podcast. The What Bitcoin Did podcast, where I'm um, sometimes I'm interviewing traders, sometimes I'm interviewing techies or various other people within the industry. Um, but who's, the most uh, who's been on the podcast? So well, brag about it a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so yesterday I was very fortunate to have Charlie Lee, Litecoin awesome. creator, um, which was just a really incredible experience. And the, you know, he's clearly a busy guy, and mm-hmm. he made time, drove to me, and came to really? do the interview. Wow. Yeah, so that was that was amazing. I had um, uh, Mike Jones here from Science, mm-hmm. um, who gave a really good uh, interview to me where we discussed kind of economic and intrinsic mm-hmm. value 
I've had Jamie Burke from Outlier Ventures. I've had uh, Jameson Blop and a couple of crypto traders from Twitter. Um, the most important thing people can do if they're brand new to this and they want to get involved, I would say go and buy a Coinbase account, hmm. go and buy a, 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 a Ledger Nano S, set them both up, buy crypto on Coinbase and send it to your Ledger. And then you will have learned so much in that one small task. You will have learned what it is and why it has meaning. And then it's, it depends what you want. If, if you're buying for an investment, I guess you need to do as much reading as you want. If you want to be a trader, which I advise most people don't, most people shouldn't be traders, then you have to spend a lot of time reading and learning and being very, very careful. Awesome. That was great. Cool, man. No worries. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Anytime, man. Thanks again to Peter McCormick. Please go ahead and check out his content at whatbitcoindid.com. You can also find him everywhere else at What Bitcoin Did. And the name of the podcast is the What Bitcoin Did podcast. I really respect the voice Peter has created for himself within the crypto world. He's opinionated, insightful, thoughtful, and just so helpful for people starting out. So if you're looking to learn more about this space, I highly recommend What Bitcoin Did. My name's Laz at Laz Alberto on Twitter if you have any feedback. Thanks for listening.